Welcome to the State of the Lakers podcast. Good morning, everybody. Uh, coming from a new destination where hopefully Raj and I won't have ridiculous <laughs> cutouts. Uh, uh, I was super, super impressed because even though it was a total shit show of a podcast where we had a half dozen dropouts and I was like visibly upset the entire time, uh, over 200 of you went back and downloaded the podcast in addition to uh, everybody who watched it live or watched the replay. And that just means that you guys are loyal and you're supporting us through what was chaotic. Uh, but I think we have it figured out now, knock on wood. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk some Lakers uninterrupted with Raj. Raj, how are you doing this morning, man? I'm doing well, man. It's a uh, nice Friday morning here in California. It's beautiful outside. I have all my toes, like all my toes are on my feet. So I'm, <laughs> I can't complain. Um, yeah, so I'm doing well. I'm doing well. That's the crazy part with these injuries that have happened to uh, uh, Drummond and LeBron is their their impact injuries. They're like bad luck. Someone else physically is injuring uh, them as opposed to the stuff that kind of feels more uh, associated with their durability, like non-contact injuries and wear and tear injuries. You're always like associating that with how well someone takes care of their body and their genetics and stuff. But man, like you, you mm-hmm. gotta be kidding me. Literally stomp someone's big toe off. And as someone who's played a lot of basketball, I can't think of a single time anything close to that has happened to me. Uh, but then Ever. again, Brooke Lopez has to weigh, Brooke Lopez has to weigh 300 pounds or close, like probably like 270, 280. So I don't encounter many humans that big. So maybe that's just the differentiating factor there. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. But I mean, like, look, look at your toe. How difficult would it be to like get your toe off? Like, that's a super painful process that I feel like I would know is happening right in the moment. He kept playing for like two more minutes on that. I just don't. Maybe NBA athletes are just different. They're built different. But uh, yeah, I would I would not be able to walk after my toenail came off. Let know. And what is his toenail? Is his toenail just floating around in his shoe? Just like scratching. I have no idea that that is not a level of pain that I want any part of any anytime soon. So we'll hopefully he's okay now. Oh, it's ridiculous. All right, so today today we're going to talk about uh, about Drummond's debut, and we're just going to talk about what we liked, what we disliked, uh, what we could see that look like moving forward. Uh, we're going to talk about Marcus All and his uh, uh, current status with the team, and just the the way his attitude is, and and uh, and his place in the rotation. And then uh, we're going to discuss uh, Dennis Schroeder's contract negotiations. We're going to talk about Wes Matthews and Markeith Morris and how they seem to be coming into their role. Uh, and then we're going to finish up with uh, uh, some league-wide stuff. I want to talk about uh, J.J. Redick. Uh, I talked a little bit about it on Wednesday, but I want to get Raj's take. And then there's a couple other things that have come out about it that I think are interesting. But let's let's start with Drummond. So just really plain and simple. You probably went back and watched the film a couple times. I've, I've watched it twice myself. What did you think about Andre Drummond's debut? What did you like? What did you dislike? Yeah, it's funny. We we are the state of the Lakers, so I think part of that is knowing like the pulse of like Lakers Twitter and what they were what they were kind of thinking. And it was pretty much a panic, right, during live, like watching it, watching with everyone. When you go back and watch, like that first uh, set that he had, the first five minutes or seven minutes, he was great. He was exactly what they brought him to do. Um, he was defending. He was in a defensive stance. Uh, he was able to um, deter Giannis from getting to the rim. Um, he was getting. He was making people uh, second guess. Middleton uh, threw up a layup that went way off the backboard because Drummond was right there. I thought he played well. Um, but but this team, uh, especially when he got hurt, it can really 
bring out his like bad tendencies, right? Like he's a guy that really wants to attack ISO. He was pulling out Kyrie dribbles for no reason at all. Kyrie package dribbles um, against Brooke Lopez. But again, with this team that has so low shot creation, it's just going to bring out those kind of plays because there's no one else. Like the uh, if Schroeder and his pick and roll doesn't work, it just becomes a swing uh, throw into the post. And then like, I, can you really blame Drummond for trying to score? I mean, it's seven seconds on the shot clock. What is he going to do? So I thought he was fine. Um, th- there are parts of his games that aren't great, but that's why you, you got him on the buyout market. I mean, you're not going to get a star player at this level, but I thought he was fine until he broke his toe. Like I thought he was perfectly what he was expected to be. He had like two points, four rebounds, uh, a steal and a block, like in like four or five minutes, which is great. And then after that, he, obviously was really impacted. So hopefully he's, he's okay now, but that's what I saw. What did you see um, going back and watching? Well, first of all, you and I very clearly predicted this on our pod <laughs> mm-hmm. on, on, on Monday. We said it will be ugly to start. Uh, n- not necessarily 100% ugly, but there, that there would be some ugliness associated with Drummond's debuts that, uh, that wouldn't necessarily be problems when LeBron and AD came back. Uh, just out of necessity, like they were, they were throwing down to Drummond in the post against Brooke Lopez, which is just not a matchup that they would attack in any other situation. And, and for the record, he actually got decent separation a couple of times. There was a move that he made on Giannis where he got pretty good separation, where he did like a fake dribble handoff and then attacked. Uh, and Giannis is just a freak. And like I've seen Giannis block shots that no other human being would block, so that's not on Drummond, and that's going to work in every other matchup. He had a, uh, a play where he kind of beat Brooke Lopez to the spot and drew a blocking foul. And then he had another one where he got across the lane and, and shot like a little sweeping hook. Like he can get separation on that stuff. The reason why he's not, uh, you know, a top tier center is he just doesn't have any touch in those uh, sorts of situations. That's what affects him the most. Um, uh, but we expected that to, that kind of stuff to happen, that kind of, you know, out of, out of rhythm, kind of weird uh, offensive decision-making, just out of virtue of their lack of, of talent. Um, but, you know, the biggest thing that stood out to me as just a, a potential positive for the Lakers is I think that Drummond very clearly brings what we lost with Dwight Howard in particular. So one of the things with Dwight that was so was so amazing is he had a really high defensive IQ. He had good defensive instincts and he had the uh, uh, the ability to be disruptive with his hands in the paint. You know, with the little passes and drop off passes and everything uh, that everything that was loose around the paint, he had an ability to get a hand on. Uh, now they're totally different mentalities. Like Dwight Howard is this like kind of crazy hothead who picks up technicals and picks up dumb fouls, and whereas Drummond's like kind of the exact opposite. Like he has a tendency to almost be too passive and 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 like and it can disappear and there will be like in that opening stretch he was really disruptive on defense but then he had a play where he kind of lost Giannis's body and Giannis just mm-hmm. dunked on him with an alley-oop and on that play Drummond almost looked like he was completely upright not even in a defensive stance and just just zero resistance so that's kind of the opposite version of the Dwight experience However, the actual skill set, that disruptive hand stuff in the paint, his size around the basket, his defensive instincts, his ability to move his feet on a guy like Giannis who tries to play bully ball, all of that stuff he does really well. And to me, that's a clean fit because that's something they straight up lost when they lost Dwight. And, and, and you and I, I think, were the biggest proponents in, in Laker Twitter for, for keeping Dwight. <laughs> uh, um, and so I'm excited in the sense that I think Drummond brings that back. Right. And we, but we talked about it last week. Like we should temper expectations before, um, LeBron and AD got, got back, but the Lakers did not do that. I mean, this is a, 
a team and a fan base that, you know, there's not much positive going on. Like without LeBron 80, it's been tough. So uh, all the quotes that came out, you know, Drummond said, uh, you know, I've been working out for the last three months. I'm in the best shape of my life. And then Frank Vogel said he had an amazing practice. He was getting steals all over the place. You know, so people just came into that with expectations that Drummond was going to come out and get like 10 steals in the first quarter or whatever. But you're right. You could see his hands. Uh, he had a strip on Drew Holiday that he almost got, but it, I think it went to the corner for a three. Um, he tried to, I think he got a strip almost on Giannis as well. So yeah, I think like he showed what he does. And again, like I love that first block that he got, that double jump where he, he jumped to contest, I think, the rim. And then he also got the block on DiVincenzo. Like the him and AD with the double jumping ability is going to be awesome. But yeah, I mean, we I, I don't think you can really judge him until uh, the two stars get back. And he's going to look like this. It's going to be tough. Um, but he's going to eat possessions i mean it's better that he gets a flip shot at the rim than a turnover which has been happening a lot lakers have been really high in turnovers the last few games and he's a guy you can give it to and you at least get a possession out of it um he might not score he might but you know he might get his own rebound he only had one rebound like last night which is just way off base from who he is right but i think some of that again was uh, how he was feeling um brooke lopez is a guy that also stays out to the three-point line so he was guarding brooke lopez so he couldn't really come and crash the boards as he wanted to so hopefully when he plays next game, he can kind of play on a more traditional center. But yeah, I feel like he was he was fine. And again, people expected like a 20 point 15 rebound game or something. The expectations that I saw was just it's just not going to happen right now. Maybe going forward against bad teams. But Milwaukee's not the team too that's going to let you get to the basket or, you know, get a bunch of offensive rebounds. And it'll be matchup oriented. Like he's going to have matchups where he's going to have 20 and 15. And you're right. Like he ended up on the ball a lot or he ended up like they attacked him in switches and, and he'd end mm-hmm. up in pick and roll coverage against like Chris Middleton, or he'd end up in uh, uh, isolation coverage against Giannis or you're right. Like Brooke Lopez would be in the corner and he'd be sprinting out on a shooter. So it was just a strange defensive matchup for, for his rebounding. And like, you know, uh, this is the, just the natural order of Twitter, but like there were a lot of, uh, people making fun of that uh, sequence where he had that opening lob and, and oh, didn't yeah. get lift, and like, and then I saw people comparing it to like uh, a play where uh, 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 Damian uh, Damian Jones <laughs> yeah. had like a dunk, and on the play, like 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 Damian Jones got had a, a really good setup. He had uh, a straight line drive. There was no bump or anything, and he really loaded up into his jump. Whereas on on the Drummond play, you could tell his momentum was taking him away from the basket. He didn't get fouled or anything, but just with the speed of the play, he didn't quite get all the way turned around to where he could load up towards the basket. So when he jumped, his momentum was going the wrong direction. He just didn't get great lift, and everyone's like, oh, look, Drummond. It's like, uh, guess what? Drummond is going to be a totally viable vertical spacing threat. It just was a, a bad play, and just uh, by virtue of the way Twitter works, it's like oh, checking in on Andre Drummond. It's like, <laughs> I know. actually he was awesome in his first stint, and and I mean the the I'm not worried about the toe thing at all. It sounds like the MRI thing is is fine. I mean, I have you ever lost a fingernail or a toenail before? Not like the whole nail. Like I've had a nail kind of break, but I mean, I've never lost the whole toenail. I don't even know what that must be the most painful thing in the world. I have no clue how that would even happen. So no, I've never lost a toenail. So I slammed my finger in a door, a car door when I was a kid and a fingernail came off and like the whole thing came off and, and basically Mm -hmm. like it was tender for a few days, but then it was fine. And so my thing is like, 
uh, like because it's it's basically like open flesh, and then like your the whole thing basically scabs over, and then the new nail like slowly grows across. And so my guess is like he might miss tonight's game, uh, but mm-hmm. then after that, my guess is that they'll be able to you know I don't know put some sort of Vaseline or something on it, and then tape it. And then he'll be able to play because it's just going to be a pain management kind of thing. So I think that'll be fine, which brings us to the Marcus Gasol thing, because <clears throat> I think this will be uh, uh, this has been a super interesting uh, 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 topic. And like, you know, uh, I think he's going to be great tonight. I expect him to play 25 to, to 30 minutes. And, you know, uh, the biggest thing, you know, when, when they got Drummond, what did I tell you? I said that I thought that he would be an infusion of talent that would give them a better chance of stealing some of these fringe games. And tonight's one of those fringe games. And it sucks that Drummond's out. I prefer to him be in there because then your entire center rotation for the whole day is huge. And Sacramento, for the record, is a smaller team. And and having right. those two centers gives you a better chance. But, you know, Marcus All like – is a perfectly awesome alternative option to the to the Andre Drummond experience. Like he's different. He's not as athletic. He's not as quick, but he's way smarter. He's a much, much better passer, and he's a much, much better shooter, and he's got a much better soft touch around the rim. If you get him into a position where he can catch and finish, it's going in every time. And so I always said that Marcus All brings versatility. And as the Lakers showed at length in last year's playoffs, they would go with the best matchup. You know, against Denver, it was a lot of Dwight Howard. You know, against Houston, it was a lot of Markeith Morris. They went with the matchup that made the most sense. And so having Marcus All on the roster is what gives you the flexibility to go a different route when it's clearly not working with Andre Drummond or when it's clearly not working with Markeith Morris. Because they're going to be game, or excuse me, Markeith Morris or Montrez Harrell. There are going to be matchups where they need to go huge and they need the physicality of Drummond. And then there are going to be matchups where they need the shooting or they need the skill and the, and the versatility of a Montrez or Marquise. So I, I want I, I think that, you know, Marcus all might pout for a little while. You know, he's going to have this phase where he has his issues, but I think you got to keep him on board and just keep hammering home with him that you're going to win us a playoff game. We're going to need you at some point. Right, I, I never bought into the Marcus Alls getting bought out rumors. Like that was all from rival executives, right? That was never sourced into the in the team, and I don't even know why that even reaches Frank Vogel. I was disappointed that you know Frank Vogel had to even address that. He said we are not buying out Marcus Saul. Um and the whole point that we were excited about Andre Drummond was because we can get him for free, right? We don't have to give up anything. People are acting like we traded Marcus Saul yesterday. It was just a really strange reaction. Um, he's going to be fine. He's going to start a lot of games, even in the playoffs. He's Maybe Drummond will start for now. But, you know, the, the guy's 36. I think he understands his role right now in the league. Even when he was playing, he was playing, like, when the whole team was healthy, he was playing, like, what, 20 minutes a game sometimes because Trez was taking his minutes. I mean, it's not like a huge shift here, and he can still close games. Um, I, I don't know. Like, yeah, he's, he refused to speak to the media what, for, like, a few days, I think, or something like that. And the whole point is that, you, you know, you have a team with LeBron James on it, and uh, these kind of issues can be, you know, exasperated on other teams, on bad teams, on teams without that kind of leadership. But Frank Vogel seems to have been pretty transparent with him on his role, right, and what's going on. Um, but, yeah, like, the thing uh, with Marcus Hall starting, like, just looking at it from a basketball sense, like, in that starting lineup, Schroeder's the only guy that puts pressure on the basket, 
So that was my thing. That's why I liked the Drummond starting. I thought, you know, they can steal some games that we thought. Marcus Gasol, you know, he's a great playmaker, great passer. I just think, like, right now, we need people who put pressure on the rim, and he just doesn't do that. He's popping mostly every time, and it's just really tough to score because it's just Schroeder really the only one that's getting any kind of dribble penetration. So that's why I like Drummond starting for now. Um, but yeah, if Marcus saw, I, I mean, he's a professional. He understands how this league works, and I don't think he was shocked by any of this. So uh, maybe he's a little upset for now. I understand he's a pro, you know, but uh, uh, I think he'll be fine. And he's going to be big in the playoffs. I don't know, like, I don't think Drummond starting yesterday means he's going to start every game going forward now. That's just, just what they're going for now until the stars get back, and, and then we'll see what happens. Well, like, we have an example of this with the, with the Markeith Morris situation when they pulled him and, and, uh, and Wes from the rotation early in the season. And, right. and then Markeith goes into a press conference and goes, like, I don't understand how I could have literally been a, like playing in the NBA Finals in the closing group, and then suddenly I'm out of the rotation. And you and I both were like, well, that's not ideal. We'd prefer he didn't say something else. You know? But he wasn't playing well at the time. And, and, and so at that point in time, he was viewed as outside of the rotation. And then by playing really, really well, he has worked his way to being arguably one of their most valuable role players right now because he's one of the few guys who's making shots. And right. so for, from, from that standpoint, like, you know, the people you can't you, you got to manage people's emotions. But at the same time, you can't, you know, uh, make decisions based on people's emotions. I said this last year about JaVale McGee. Like there's a lot of there was a lot of talk in the locker room about this idea that like, you know, they needed to have JaVale McGee in the starting lineup for the sake of his like ego, you know, and <laughs> I would frequently tell you and others on my podcast, you know, I don't understand why they're they're catering so much to 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 JaVale, but, and they did for a while, but then when it came, when push came to shove in the playoffs, they were like, yeah, it's time for you to sit down. Uh, so my thing is like, you you have to understand that guys are going to react, but as long as you're very transparent and honest with them, it'll all come back around. And and that's kind of what I expect to happen here is like, you know, you look at Mark and you say, we're going to need you. And if you play great, you're going to keep playing. So, you know, he, he might pout for a little while, but eventually he'll understand, you know, the, the predicament here, which is like, you know, if it, you've been really good because he, he's been playing really well lately. Mm-hmm. And and there's there's a, a an argument to be made that had A.D. been healthy all season, that Drummond doesn't even get signed. You know, maybe they go for a shooter or something along those lines. Like part of the reason why Drummond was such an obvious move is like they are have a really thin front court right now because of LeBron and A.D. being out. So from that standpoint, like the the uh, uh, they need Drummond right now, and in the future the rotation is going to sink, and the guys that are going to play every single every single person in the rotation. We're going to talk about Wes Matthews here in a second. Like even KCP, who was arguably their third best player in last year's playoff run, he he might not play in some of these playoff matchups because he's been so bad. So you know you got to think of it like outside of Schroeder, LeBron, and AD. Everyone else is fighting for minutes the way that I see it. And KCP's a starter, and he might still fall out of the rotation. So the, or not all entirely, but he, his minutes might be cut. So, you know, everyone, everyone's kind of in the same boat. Like, you, you can't go back to the locker room and, and be all pissy about the fact that your minutes have been cut when every single player in there outside of the core three is technically under the same stakes. Uh, so I, I think he'll, I, th- I think it'll end up being fine, but I, I just, I hope, I hope you, and I don't 
don't think, you know, Frank straight up came out and said, we have no plans to buy out Marcus all. And then he right. also said before that game against Milwaukee, he said, uh, with the way that the, this all is shaping up with the, uh, 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 with the, uh, the matchup against Milwaukee, we're expecting not to play Mark tonight, but we still think that in our bench lineups that we can play Mark and Trez together. He said that. So then, so mm-hmm. then you, the game comes and he doesn't play, and you know a lot of Laker Twitter starts freaking out like, oh, I can't believe Marcus All is not playing until crunch time or until uh, garbage time, and it's like. Frank literally told us, and he told us earlier this season, hey, by the way, I'm not playing Wes and I'm not playing Markeith tonight. Like, this is super, super transparent coaching staff and uh, an organization. And so, like, I, I trust that, you know, they can at least figure it out. We're going to talk about this more with JJ Reddick later. Like, guys are <laughs> way better at dealing with bad news when it's honest and forthright. Right than they are when they get blindsided. Like, that's the, the key difference here. And, and the Lakers handle that well. So I, I, I'm not too worried about Mark. Right. And, and you brought up the, uh, the Mark and Trez kind of lineups that Frank Vogel talked about. Those two have not played a minute together this season before that Bucks game. I think they played, I'm going to play a little bit against the Bucks, but they have not played a minute together before that. So that's one thing I want to see. And again, Mark's going to get his minutes. I mean, he's, I mean, he's at the stage of his career. I don't think starting is maybe it's a huge deal still to him, but like, I, I don't know. I don't feel like starting should be that big of a, uh, point here that should be you know I don't think he'd be that upset about that for right now so Drummond's gonna start for now but again all these matchup dependent we just saw it in the last playoffs Frank Vogel has no problem benching someone who's not gonna play you talked about KCP I mean all those players are pretty much uh, a revolving door right around LeBron and AD whoever's playing well is gonna start West could start I think West started the season if I remember correctly but he couldn't hit a shot so he got moved to the bench um, Marquise got moved to the bench because THT was playing so well, right? They needed to find minutes for THT, and they just the minutes that got cut were Wes and Marquise. So that's how it's going to go. Whoever's playing well is going to play. Um, we're in the place right now where, like, wins are just whatever win you can get, you get. Um, so whoever's playing well is going to play, whether it's Mark, whether it's Drummond, whether it's Harold that's killing. I mean, that that's how it's going to go. And uh, I think Mark is going to be fine. He's a professional. He understands. He's been in the league, what, 18, like 15 years or something like that. So he, he understands the game and he'll be he'll be fine. Yeah, so the uh, the Marcus All Montrez Harrell lineups are going to be interesting. So the way that the way that Frank framed it, as he said, if I remember correctly, and you correct me if I'm uh, reversing this, but he basically said we'll put uh, Marcus All at the at the five on defense and right. Montrez at the four on defense, and then on offense we'll run Marcus All as the four and Montrez at the five. Now that works, and I actually like that idea. Mainly because we have always agreed that uh, Montrez is better defensively almost as a wing. Um, flying around, using his length, using his motor, using uh, putting him in space as opposed to putting him around the basket. And Marcus Saul mm-hmm. is actually a great drop coverage center because he's just like really good at positioning his body between the, the offensive player and the rim, not fouling. You know, he's not as vertically athletic. He's not a great shot blocker, but he's so just savvy around the basket as a defensive player. And and we saw him do a great job with that against Ben Simmons. And we saw him again in that uh, in that uh, fourth quarter doing a good job against the Bucks. And so 
from that standpoint, that lineup I actually think can work. And the only reason it hasn't played is because of the fact that they were kind of uh, playing Montrez and and Mark as the two fives. Uh, but I, right. but I do I do think it will work because you, you know they always talk about with these lineups it's just about who you can guard and we know Marcus All can play defensively as the five and I would argue that Montrez is every bit as mobile and and good on the perimeter as as a um, a Markeef for instance and so I, I oh, absolutely yeah. think that uh, that that it can work um, and, and so I, it'll be interesting to see and then offensively on the other end uh, uh, you have Montrez who's been. Uh, absolutely amazing offensively in the last you know month or so uh i think he's averaging over 20 points a game he's shooting like 66 percent from the field he's yeah. killing in in mismatches in the post he's got it all going he made some mid-range shots the other night he's still got that little floater thing going and then uh and then marcus Saul is uh starting to be really aggressive from the three-point line out on top of the key missed a couple shots there in the fourth quarter but like he's every bit as good a shooter out there as any of the guards are uh, and so, like, it, it all makes sense to me that Marcus Gasol still has a role here. And then when Anthony Davis comes back, everyone in the rotation gets squeezed because AD's playing 36 minutes now. LeBron's playing 40 minutes now. Schroeder's going to play 35 minutes or whatever. And in the playoffs, it's going to be we got, you know, these, you know, five or six big roles to fill. And it's going to be on, based on who's going. Um, and I think right. this is a good opportunity to transition into West because, you know, you and I talked at length earlier this year when West was struggling about how we thought West would probably end up being one of their most dependable playoff guards. And it was based on the fact that his role, what he's good at, makes the most sense when LeBron, AD, Le- LeBron and AD are playing really well uh, because right. they do attract so much attention. They do put so much pressure on the rim. And Wes Matthews can knock down the open shot and he can defend these bigger wings and things along those lines. And so uh, ironically, and this is something I did not expect, he actually appears to have kind of got it going uh, in a situation where it'd be really hard for him to get it going. Uh, what do you think is going on with him that's caused him to start to start playing better? He just looks in a rhythm now. Like his shot looks good. Um, he's getting open looks. Uh, he's coming off. Uh, he's coming off pin downs. Um, he's he's curling. Like he just he just looks in a rhythm. And I always said like he was a better he's a better movement shooter. He's our best like movement shooter that we have on the team. Um, that's the difference between him and like Danny Green to me. Like he can come off curl and get right into a shot, and it looks it looks really good. And his defense has been consistent throughout the year. Um, he can't guard like the super big wings, right? But he's done a good job. Like last time on Milton, he did he did a really nice job. Um, he had some switches on Giannis that he played well. And again, Wes is a professional. He's been in the league for a bunch of years, and he's well, I think he's like the leader in three point uh, three pointers made for an undrafted player or something like that. And and a guy like that is just not going to forget how to shoot. So um, yeah, he he looks a lot better, and he's our best shooter right now. He's shooting thirty nine percent from three on almost five attempts the last five games. Um, I think the Lakers have only won like two of those, but you know he's he's playing well. And uh, man, the KCP is really struggling. So it's it's nice to have at least one shooter going because our margin for error is just so low. If we can't hit open shots, it's going to be tough. So he's the only guy really hitting them right now, and uh, it, it's nice to see. He's even attacking the basket a little bit. He's trying to create off the dribble. Um, but yeah, having a guy that can make shots right now is what we need and whoever's making shots has to play and uh, he, he's played well he's going to be big in the playoffs as well especially matchup dependent he can guard those wings and uh, trace them off screens he's all he's a lot quicker than some guards that we have and um, he's a little bit bulkier as well can stay in front so uh, he, he's been playing well and it's, I'm really happy for him that he's he's gotten out of that stretch because he looked like he was really frustrated 
because he was missing wide open shots, um, especially passes from LeBron. They'd be wide open in the corner, and he'd be cr- he'd be clanking them. So yeah, I'm happy for him. I'm happy he's he got his shot going, and uh, it's can't come at a better time because the Lakers need it right now. He was one of dozens and dozens of players around the league who really struggled with getting his legs underneath him at the start of the season. And so, you know, especially as like one of the older guys around the league uh, uh, and, you know, he's not as old as some of the oldest guys in the league. But when you actually factor in the injuries that he's suffered in his career, like he, he yeah. is an older guy. And and so it kind of makes the most sense and uh, that that he would peak later in the year. And I agree, like the interesting part about uh, him getting it going is I talked about how I thought him and most of the shooters would get going as LeBron and AD came back because their shot quality would massively improve. And then just by virtue of getting constant great looks, they would they would get their rhythm going. And uh, ironically, it appears to be that even in this crappy situation offensively, he's got it going because he's got his legs back. And you're right, he looks great off the move. He's a, he's a, a, their best off-the-move shooter in large part, in my opinion, because he's so strong in his lower body and his ability to get a strong base. Because off-the-move shooting is all about your legs. It's, it's every bit as athletic a move as a dunk. Uh, because what you're doing is you're trying to regain balance when your momentum is carrying yourself away from the basket. It's all about leg strength. And so he's naturally good at, at that sort of thing. You know, defensively at the beginning of the year, he was so bad against quick guards. And I just, yeah. you know, was clinging to the fact that I loved him for specific matchups. Like he's just a great guy to throw at a Chris Middleton or a Kawhi or a Paul George. Any a bigger wing scorer who doesn't necessarily use like lightning athleticism to get by you, but rather uses shiftiness and size and strength to get an advantage against you. Wes is like such a weapon to throw against that type of guy. He used to do amazing work against LeBron and against Kawhi in previous seasons. And I was most excited about that. But the truth is, is he's very, very laterally quick and he should be able to guard the quicker guards, at least as well as any of the other defensive guards in the league. He just didn't have his legs underneath him. And to see that all kind of coming together now and with Drummond and his ability to put pressure on the rim, although he's not going to be playing tonight, I don't think. Um, uh, but when, when Anthony Davis comes back, which I, I think we're, I think he's probably going to come back next week. I mean, according to what Shams had said at the trade deadline, like theoretically late next week, maybe, I don't know. Um, but with AD coming, all that shot quality stuff is just going to keep going up and up. And I think all, all these, all these guys are going to get going and, you know, it's interesting. This is the advantage of depth because when you've got, you know, cause the Lakers, we were talking about this in my Wednesday podcast when one of the people uh, in the comments asked like, Hey, you know, what buyout guys should the Lakers go to? And of course, if an auto porter comes up, you snatch him. If, a, uh, you know, uh, who's the, the flamethrower, uh, I'm blanking his name. Wayne, Wayne Ellington. Wayne Ellington. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The flamethrower shooter. If he comes up, yeah, of course you take him. But look at the Lakers rotation. They got five guards, like good rotation guards, you know, THT Caruso, Wes Matthews, uh, uh, KCP and Dennis. And then they've got two really good wings in Kuzma and LeBron. Uh, and then in the front court, they've got, you know, Markeith Morris, Montrez, uh, Marcus Saul, uh, um, and uh, uh, Andre Drummond. So they're deep. So the truth mm-hmm. of the matter is, is like, like it's impossible for all of them to be cold forever. And so somebody was going to get it going. And here come uh, Markeith and Wes Matthews just by virtue of, 
of uh, of like banging your head against the wall, somebody started making shots, and it's been the two of them. And, and and I think that you know it's it's we always talk about how it's a waterfall effect. Like the two of them making shots is going to open things up for uh, for Dennis Schroeder and for Andre Drummond around the basket, which is going to continue to increase the shot quality for the other shooters. And then everybody's going to start getting it going. And so I, I'm super super excited about that. Are you? Are you yet concerned about KCP? Because I'm getting close. Yeah, like, okay, I, I'm going to tie this back to Wes because uh, Wes talked about a lot. We forget that Wes started last year on a Bucks team that was rolling through the league. He was average, he was playing like 29, 30 minutes a game, getting a bunch of shots up. He came to the Lakers and what? He started to come off the bench. He was taking like two threes a game. You know what I mean? He was just, there was just no way for him to get in rhythm. I think he's talked about this. Like he's used to touching the ball, you know, going through having the ball in his hands, kind of feeling for the game and um, just sitting there and spotting up, I think was tough for him. I feel this way, way with KCP because I'm watching him and he's passing up shots. Now he's driving very recklessly. He gets to the basket with no intention of scoring or doing anything. He got blocked twice last night in an absolute terrible fashion. He just threw up some layups that, you know, had no chance or anything. Um, but he's got to get his shots up. Like this, he's not going to get his shot back by just passing up, taking these, taking two threes a game, three threes a game. It's just not going to work. And his jump, he has no confidence right now, his jump shot. Um, I don't know if a week off would help him. Like, I really don't know. I, Again, his benefit of the doubt is very long. Like, it's still pretty long. You win a title and you, you get that long benefit of the doubt. It's starting to run up a little bit, though. Um, the Lakers need him to, uh, Lakers need him to play, man. This is, this is the time. This is where you earn your money. You got the contract. Like, this is time. You, like, like, we're not asking you to, you know, run, pick and roll. Not asking you to play make. Just hit open shots. Um, hit your mid range jumper. He just, I, I don't know. I, I think, I think he'll be fine again when the playoffs start. But uh, it's been almost a full season long of just a real struggle. He had the really hot start. Um, he played well in Philly, and then from there, it's just really tough. And maybe the shot creation is the problem. Um, no one else really puts pressure on the rim for him, so he's not getting the looks the same. We all, we talked about it. Every open shot's not the same. Um, but my, my issue is his defense has really fallen off as well. It's not where it used to be. Um, he's getting beat a lot more. He gets lost. Um, I think that Andre Drummond lob play you, you talked about, I think that was a back screen on KCP or Drummond or something like that, which got him to lob. There's just a lot of plays like that that's been happening. So it's like, his engagement level isn't where it used to be. Like his, he's really disengaged from the game for long stretches, way longer than it's been. Again, this may be a mental thing that, you know, because of the bubble, I look at, it's funny. Look at the Miami heat are 500. They are 25 and 24. The, again, same. They went to the finals like the Lakers did. They're 500 yet. They're comfortably in the four. They're going to be comfortably in the four seed pretty soon. Like, they have eight more losses than the Lakers. So I just look at that and that, that might be a, a factor still for KCP, but I don't know. It's time for him to start playing well. Hopefully against like more bad teams like the Kings tonight and Toronto coming up, he can kind of get a rhythm. But I think this is all in his head. I like most things. Uh, when he's confident, he looks like Clay Thompson. And when he's not, he looks like whatever this version is. So hopefully, hopefully he picks it up. I, I think he'll be fine. But right now it's a, it's a big time struggle. Well, you, you you just made a great point. The 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 and you and I have talked about this several times on the podcast. Like the the last four teams in the league have all struggled. The Miami Heat have basically been a five hundred basketball team. The Boston Celtics have been like catastrophically below expectations. <laughs> and I predicted the I I predicted the Celtics would get off to a slow start because I really thought their lack of playmaking would be a problem. Just because Tatum and Brown, as talented as they are, they're just not developed as playmakers yet. 
and I and they've been like I said catastrophically below expectations. And the Nuggets are basically just now getting it going. The Nuggets and Lakers are basically right next to each other in the standings, in in the middle of the pack. So they've both been uh, bad for them. It hasn't been health related. It was more just uh, 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 Jamal Murray really took a while to get going. Although now he's having like a career season, so it's it's kind of funny how that all worked out. But uh, anyway, like. The thing with KCP that I think everyone has to remember is what it looks like when it's good. And then remember and and try to understand why it's been hard for him to do that this season. So, for instance, like when you watch a good KCP game, what do you usually see? He usually gets out. He gets going in transition. That's where he gets his game going. He gets these crazy because he's got such great speed and he's got such great single leg bounce. Like that's his advantage. Like his athletic strength strength is single leg bounce, which is the best bounce to have in transition because it allows you to extend and actually it's like it allows you to to stop from uh, slowing your body down before going to the basket. And so what will happen is, is like every single game, he'll lock up on defense and run out and LeBron will hit him in transition two, three times. He'll get some and ones or some dunks and that kind of feeds into his confidence. And then the rest of his offensive game is built around attacking closeouts. And and just by virtue of like, you know, uh, Marcus all playing limited minutes and being out with COVID for a while and then LeBron being out, he's been playing without that that outlet passer, that guy who can get him the ball in transition because those transition openings are open open for a split second before the defense gets back. And you need someone like LeBron or Marcus all who can grab the rebound, but already knows what's happening down the floor and it can hit KCP in stride so that he can get that going and then it's all just part of his waterfall effect of his rhythm he builds all of that together into this finished package which is him being a great defensive player who can hurt you in transition and then he can hurt you in transition as a shooter too there's one of the biggest plays of the finals last year uh, was in game four when the uh, when the Lakers won and he had a play where uh, uh, where LeBron drove in transition and hit him in the corner. He had sprinted the floor and got to the corner. That's all part of his game that's kind of going untapped right now. And and so if, uh, I, and hopefully Marcus Gasol playing a bigger role tonight will help him get get that going again. But I I I'm with you. He deserves the longest bit of leash. And uh, I kind of think of it the same way I think about with LeBron. Like with LeBron, this is uh, like he deserves all of the 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 positive uh, outlook in the world because of his history of taking such good care of his body. But right. it's important it's important to point out like this is the first like impact physical injury he suffered in his uh, later life, lower leg late in the season there's something weird about this with kcp as long as his leash is this is the worst he's been for an extended stretch and so i think it's okay to acknowledge like this doesn't look great but i think we i think he'll still be fine you know it's not like he's going anywhere it's not like the lakers have to worry about trading him anymore (laughs) it's it's just a question of him getting it going So, like, in the beginning of the pod, you talked about how you were excited about Drummond because he kind of gives what Dwight missed, right, what what we lost with Dwight. Last year, KCP and Dwight, um, because KCP came off the bench last year, people forget, Avery Bradley actually started. So him and Dwight used to have this play where they would run this uh, double-drag handoff, right? So KCP would come off two screens, he would start in the corner, and then Dwight would roll. So KCP would basically have three choices. He could either attack the basket, take his mid-range pull-up, find Dwight, or kick it into the corner. 
that's why I was excited about Drummond coming because it gives him another role threat to kind of play with. Um, he seems very just designated into spot up shooting. Lakers aren't defending as well right now. They are defending well, but they aren't getting into a transition as well as much. And he's not sprinting the way he used to. So I'd like to see them kind of go back to that, run some actions for him, run some handoffs um, just to get him going, get him feeling the basketball. It's uh, he, he just, he's just waiting for the ball to come to him and he's just getting into no rhythm. So I would hope maybe they run a few more sets for him to get going. Um, but but again, yeah, his benefit of the doubt is pretty long. Um, it's not LeBron level. He's not. He's not LeBron James. So uh, we we can't just expect him to turn on some players. They have a good postseason. That's pretty much what happens. So we'll hopefully uh, he plays well. But yeah, his role kind of. He's one of the. He's the player that probably misses the two stars the most. Um, he's the guy that plays off them the most. So uh, again, he's not a movement shooter. He's a guy that likes to spot up. He can sprint to a spot, but he's not like a curl and uh, you know get set through that way so hopefully uh, he plays better and again we talked about uh, we we're going to talk about markeef as well right markeef has played really well again he's a guy to me that's in a rhythm he's getting touches he's getting a lot of post touches he's getting a lot of isolation he's very he's aggressive able to feel a, right and he's able to feel the ball kind of uh you know uh get his get his mid-range pull up in and that kind of uh works to his three-pointer that's starting to go in he's starting to hit his corner threes and again that's all because to me he's a rhythm guy who likes to have the ball kind of feel the defender fade away jumper um can score that way so again both those guys i feel like are playing well and i don't think it's an accident because they're getting more shots and they're able to get in the rhythm into games and they're starting to hit their jumper so both of them have been a positive surprise and i hope kcp gets it going gets it going here markeith morris is the most interesting like uh rotation conundrum that they have because you know, he was really good in the postseason last year because he was flat out a knockdown shooter. And for the record, he's been a knockdown shooter for the last month or so of this season. Mm-hmm. And he was a knockdown shooter in the playoffs. And so, you know, the question becomes, you know, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about with Marcus All. It's about versatility. I think Mark, I think Mark Keith Morris is going to get run. Even with as crazy deep as the front court is, I think Markeith Morris is going to get run. Like in games where Kuzma's a little sloppy, I think they'll go to Markeith. In games where the centers mm-hmm. aren't really working for matchups, like a Brooklyn series, I think you might see a lot of Markeith Morris. They might tr- they'll they'll try to go big to try to bully the the Nets, but if it's not working, if Drummond and Gasol and, and Trez aren't aren't getting enough offensive rebounds and beating them up inside, they're going to have to audible for that switching attack to get uh, uh, to, to put Markeith on the floor. So I think he's going to continue to be uh, involved. But the thing is, is like you said, the reason why he's succeeding is because he's getting a lot of run and he did get a lot of run in the playoffs. And so it'll be yeah. interesting to see in the coming weeks when LeBron and AD come back, if, if Markeith gets out of rhythm just by virtue of them, uh, 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 playing uh, the the centers a lot, so it'll be. He, but he just he provide he provides. He was another guy, kind of like Wes Matthews, who to start the season physically didn't look great, and and his mm-hmm. legs are clearly underneath him now. Now he's shooting the ball really well. He's a very good post defender. He's just good at holding his position and forcing guys to shoot over the top. He's a very good shooter when he's wide open, and he just doesn't make mistakes. And so I, I, I he's an interesting. Uh, uh, he's and I was really psyched about the Markeith Moore signing from the beginning, and he's exceeded expectations even above that. And it'll just be really interesting to see if he stays involved throughout the process. 
Yeah, for sure. And he played a lot of minutes next to Harrell, right, to start. And I think that really struggled with him because he basically played the backup five in that situation. Both him and Harrell aren't rim rim protectors like that at all. And uh, it was tough to watch him kind of try to defend that way. Right now, too, the Lakers have him playing some five. But you could just see how much more comfortable he is playing next to a good big, like playing next to Drummond, playing next to Marcus Saul, even playing next to Damian Jones. He's been starting, right? So, uh, yeah, I think he's looked really good as as that kind of role. And he's the... He's when you look when you think of versatility on this team, you think of him. He's the he's the reason that Houston really got shut down. That was their adjustment, right? Their adjustment was starting Markeith Morris against the Rockets, so the Rockets couldn't you know small ball them. Um, they just put AD at the five, and from there that series was over by that time. So, yeah, he's going to be big going into the playoffs, and again another matchup dependent guy. But if he has it going, you're going to play him, a guy you can throw the ball into, eat possessions like we always say. Um, if, if you have nothing going, he's a guy that is really helping the team right now. His mid-range pull-up is it's not super efficient, but again, it's better than having a turnover, you know, having a bad pass. So um, I'm happy he's got it going, and he's he's a rhythm guy that's he looks happy getting all the shots he's getting. So hopefully, hopefully we get some wins out of it. That's the funny part about uh, watching this team as of late is so many Laker fans are incessantly complaining about them looking like they have a massive talent disadvantage, and they do, but. <laughs> You know, throwing LeBron and AD in the mix, all of a sudden that talent disadvantage becomes a massive depth of role players. And it just gives you more options to go to and, uh, and more potential, uh, you know, for guys to get hot. Like, you know, if you, you can go to so many games last year in the playoffs where like Caruso, like for instance, Caruso shot, you know, I, I tweeted it out the other day because that guy from Clippers Twitter, 20, right? 20, 27%, I think he shot last year. Right. Yeah. So yeah, he was in the twenties in the in the playoffs last year for the Lakers, but he had games where he made shots. And there I think I think game one and game six of the NBA final, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but I think in those two games he made a bunch of shots. And then, you know, Mark Keefe had that game where he made five threes. Like, you know, uh KCP had huge games, even though his three point percentage was uh was I think uh hovered just under forty percent for the, the the entire playoff run. But the point is is like, you know, Frank had did a really good job of kind of giving them all chances and they all had moments. And, and so, you know, that's the thing is you just kind of have to read the room, see who's feeling confident, see who's not and go with those guys. And they have so many options. And that, that's, what's really cool about the way that team is built is just the, the, the depth of options. Um, so really uh, quickly before we get to the, the, the JJ Reddick stuff, uh, the so we don't know exactly what the offer was. We know that it was somewhere in the neighborhood of four years and eighty million dollars for Dennis Schroeder. We have no idea whether or not it was guaranteed. We have no idea whether or not there was a player option involved. Um, but Dennis turned it down. Um, so you know, as is the case with all this stuff, it's all conjecture because you know no one wants to show their hand and they try to handle this stuff behind the scenes. But what what is your what's your early impressions takeaways from the Dennis Schroeder contract negotiation? Yeah, I mean, there's always like three sides to every kind of story, right? One side, one side, and the truth. And um, these kind of things, I always look at who kind of benefits from uh, who benefits from this kind of information leaking, really. And I'm can't really decide who. I mean, does Schroeder benefit by showing that he turned down an eighty-four million dollar extension? I mean, I'm not sure. Do the Lakers benefit by showing that you know, hey, we offered this and he just didn't take it? Um, to me, this is just a bet, like. I'm I'm betting that they did offer it and he declined it. I think that's the main facts in the story. Everything else is just conjecture like you talked about. But um, I think this is just a bet on himself, right? I mean, the shooter's a smart guy. He knows this offer will be there in the summer. I mean, the Lakers can't just... Lakers don't 
if the, he doesn't take it, Lakers just can't offer this to someone else. They can sign and trade him, do other things, but he probably knows that this offer is there. Um, to me, for the Lakers, like Shooter's betting on himself. If he plays well and the Lakers win the title, they'll happily give him this money. They can even offer him a little more, I think, um, because uh, this is the max he can offer him right now. But going to the summer, we'll see. And again, Shooter, I mean, am I comfortable paying Dennis Shooter $25 million a year? I'm, I'm not really sure, to be honest on that. But again, that's not a decision I think the Lakers can really have right now. So I think the point is that he's betting on himself. He thinks he's going to play well. The Lakers win the title. He's going to get even more money. If not, if he doesn't play well, then maybe that gives you know more leverage the other way. But I respect him for betting on himself. Um, I think teams are going to be out there with cap space. I just don't see a team offering him more than that $21, $22 million that's there. But if he thinks he can get more, then great. Um, but again, right now we're watching. I mean, he's a nice point guard. I Again, I don't think he's going to lead this team to very many wins right now. I just don't think that's how his game is built. And this team is not built around Dennis Schroeder. So, um, again, looking at that, he's played well next to the Stars. I talked about this all the time, that him, LeBron, and AD are killing teams when they're on the floor together. And that's the main point of this. That's what Dennis Schroeder is here for. He's here to play next to LeBron and AD. Everything else, um, he can earn his money in other ways, but that's the main ways. That's how I, that's how I take it. How about you? Yeah, so I really thought it was simple. I think I think uh, just like a lot of guys in his position, um, a great example. Of this is Anthony Davis uh, um, last summer. I think a lot of guys just would rather at least keep their options open till the summer. Like I'm sure Schroeder in yeah. his mind, and I would sh- I I would be relatively certain that Schroeder behind the scenes has been telling LeBron and Anthony Davis in you know colloquial conversations like I'm staying. Uh, but you know, of forward facing, it's like, why, why would I sign this deal now when I know it's going to be available in the summer? I like my, I don't think Rob lowballed him. I would imagine that he offered him a straight up, you know, four years, 80, probably a player option. Like who knows? I just, I think honestly, it was just a matter of, uh, uh, of Schroeder having no incentive to sign that deal right now. The only incentive would be if he, you know, were to tear his Achilles tomorrow, you know, but that you can't live life in fear of that sort of thing because it's just right. a terrible way to make decisions. Um, but, you know, as far as his, his actual dollar amount goes, I don't want to dive too far into it because you and I have talked at length about this before, but. You know, there is a premium to keeping talent on your roster as a contender because a player's value is not what you're willing to pay. It's what a crappy team is willing to pay. Somebody out there is going to pay Dennis Schroeder $24, $25 million a year. So guess what? If you want him to stay on the Lakers, you're going to have to come somewhat close to that. Uh, that's just the nature of the business. You have to overpay those kinds of guys. I'll give you an example. For the Warriors, you know, uh, Draymond argu- was arguably their third most important player. Maybe their second most important, but their third best player because Clay Thompson was just playing so well there at the end of 2019. And so you're looking at it and you're like, okay, you know, I don't love the idea of paying Draymond Green 25 million a year when he can barely score 10 points. And he's, you know, he's more or less like a, you know, uh, uh, he's just a guy that isn't necessarily good enough to dictate that kind of, kind of dollar value. But the Warriors were in a predicament. If they let Draymond go to unrestricted free agency, Somebody was going to pay him $25 million, or maybe even a few million more. So they were in a predicament where they had no choice but to either sign Draymond Green for $25 million to keep their team near their ceiling or let him go, save the money, look in the mirror and go like, oh, I didn't overpay Draymond, but now your team is way worse. And so you have nothing to show for it. It's just the, it's just part of the business. And so, you know, yeah, Schroeder's not worth the money, but they need him to remain competitive moving forward, especially with LeBron aging. 
and he fits so cleanly into their identity as just a defensive point of attack guard and a guy that can create some offense that like they're in the predicament where it's like we can either overpay Dennis and get into the luxury tax as just part of what this experience is going to be like, or we can let him go and be a worse basketball team in the strongest era in NBA history where you need to be really, really, really good to win. Uh, so I don't, I don't think it's overly complicated. My guess is he'll come to a deal this summer. Yeah, yeah, and you brought up Draymond. I mean, I feel like Draymond was a little bit more of a no-brainer. I mean, they just they won what like three titles or something like that in four years. He was the best defensive player in basketball, in my opinion. Like, I feel like that was a no-brainer. Um, I, I compare this more to like Malcolm Brogdon with the Bucks, right? Um, I, Shooter. I mean, he might not people whether you think Shooter's better than Brogdon or not. They're pretty comparable in terms of their uh, just their play style and uh, who's who impacts the game or whatever. Um, Malcolm Brogdon can't probably be your best player on a title team, but he's very good. The Bucks decided to not, you know, re-sign him. Uh, and he went to uh, Indiana and he flourished. And then the Bucks end up having to probably overpay for a Drew Holiday. Now, Drew Holiday's awesome. But again, this is the kind of situation you get to when you're a contending team. You can't just let talent walk out the door. And they did with Malcolm Brogdon, right? They didn't match his offer. And then they ended up having to, the following year after losing in the playoffs, they ended up having to uh, rectify that with uh, other moves. So, that's kind of the way I would compare it to. Is Malcolm Brogdon probably worth four years, 90? I don't know. But uh, I think he was worth that to the Bucks. Like, the Bucks needed a shock creator. He was the second best player in that playoff. So um, I, I thought that was a mistake on their part. But, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of how I see it. I feel like you have to re-sign Dennis Schroeder and whatever that comes to if you want to move him later. He understands how the business goes. But that's you just have to keep talent. And that's kind of where I would compare it to. I don't know. Malcolm Brogdon's really good. He's Again, he's not like your superstar, but he's a really good talent. So that's how I compare it to to Schroeder. Yeah, and the twenty the twenty five million number, not even the, whatever the Lakers can offer him twenty two. To me, that's the yeah. the respect number. To me, that's the number where it like he like and Dennis has said this in quotes. He's like, I just want to feel like I'm valued. Like I want to be you know fairly compensated. Fair, like the, yeah. the truth the truth of the matter is is the Lakers would get outbid this summer, in my opinion. Let's say like let's say for instance that uh, um, you know he has a great playoff run and the Lakers win the championship. Like somebody out there is going to offer him close to the max not the max but they'll offer him 26 million 27 million something along those lines like there's going to be someone out there like i'll give you a random example like let's say kyle lowry doesn't go to miami and stays in toronto or whatever and then miami ends up sitting there like hey we got this cap space and you know maybe we don't like victor oladipo and we just saw you know dennis Schroeder have a fantastic playoff run with the lakers where he did everything on both ends and they just throw a big offer at you know dennis Schroeder because they feel like he's their best option to fill that spot and, and to compete the next season and i'm not saying that's gonna happen that's just a random example like there is the the lakers cachet in the ability to play with lebron to build his profile the ability to play with this franchise to build his his fame and his ability to make money in other aspects that's absolutely going to bridge whatever gap i think the lakers would automatically win if they hit that max number that they can pay which is 22 million a year or whatever it's just that it's just that they'd have to hit that number for dennis to feel respected in my in my opinion but if there's a gap of five million a year between what someone else offers him and what the lakers can offer him i think he'd stay in la i don't think he's going to free agency for the uh, uh, for to to consider other teams, I think it's literally just no reason to sign right now. You know, might as well keep your options open. Who knows what's going to happen in this playoff run? Let's you know, let's just see how it goes. Right, and this is his first time being a free agent as well. Like I think he he got dropped to Atlanta and he got traded to the Thunder, yeah. so it's his first time kind of. 
he wants to be wine and dine, as I say, you know, free agents want to be courted um, and all that. So I, I think this is what that is. He's just going to, you know, test the market and then probably come back as most most free agents do. So, yeah, I don't think there's anything to worry about. And again, right now, we're f- focused about the playoffs. I mean, that's what this matters. I mean, if he doesn't play in the one to play well in the playoffs, then then this is a whole different conversation anyway. But I think both of us expect him to show up uh, when it matters. So I, I don't think this will be much of a, a problem in the, in the offseason anyway. Yep, I agree. Um, so before we get out of here, I want to get your take on the J.J. Reddick situation. <laughs> so, I mean, just super fast breakdown here for those of you who haven't seen it. J.J. Reddick goes on his podcast and undresses the, the New Orleans front office, basically saying that he uh, very explicitly requested a trade and that he was promised a trade or a buyout. Um, a trade to a, a destination in the Northeast or a buyout, and that uh, the um, uh, the Pelicans basically, you know, reneged on that con- uh, that promise and, and sent him to Dallas. So, first of all, uh, before before I add the the, the new wrinkle, I just want to hear your overall take on that situation from the start. Yeah, so I went. I don't. Know, did you go and listen to JJ Reddick's podcast as well? Did you go listen to his? Yeah, uh, I listened. I listened did, to it. Yeah. Yeah, so how I see it, like basketball, again, like we always talk about, it's not played on an Excel sheet, and then these players aren't, you know, robots on 2K as well. So basketball is a people business. It is a relationship business as well. Um, these managers and teams are only there to focus on their team, right? They're, they're supposed to do the best right by their team. Now, the problem with this is that it is a relationship business. So, like, if J.J. Reddick got promised that he was getting a buyout, then I feel like you should fulfill your promise, like, as a as a word. I understand he's signed to a contract. But, again, this is – why is LeBron a Laker, right? Like, just just think about why LeBron is a Laker. He's because, you know, the Lakers signed KCP, and they got a relationship with Clutch, and they got a relationship with Rich Paul. There's no qualms about this. This isn't – this isn't uh, – this isn't, like, uh, new information, right? We, we knew about this. Rich Paul and the Lakers and LeBron all wanted to build a relationship. The Lakers build themselves on family, right? Their whole thing, if you see any Laker game, it's all about family. Jeannie Buss talks about this a lot. Um, the players aren't just players. They're family. And what do families do? They – you know, respect each other's promises and word that they give. And so um, I think J.J. Reddick does. I mean, if he was specifically promised by David Griffin, I mean, there might be some telephone going on here. Some, you know, again, I always say there's three sides to every story, one side, one side, and the truth. We don't know what David Griffin and J.J. Reddick talked about. We have no idea. We're not in those rooms. We have his side. Griffin's going to come out and say whatever. I think he did say something. I'm not sure. But David Griffin's going to come out and say, you know, I feel bad that jj feels that way and it's not like he sent jj to like you know some minnesota or to some horrible team in the bottom he sent him to dallas it's a good basketball situation but again i understand jj reddick's part as well he wanted to be close to his family and let, let's not mix words he wanted to play for the nets like that's it was pretty clear that's where he wanted to go whether the nets wanted him or not i don't know like those again those are conversations i'm sure griffin called the nets for like you know, and they're like, why would we give up anything for him if you're going to buy him out eventually? So, um, I mean, you don't know. I, I think it's really tough. Now, my thing is, like, was it worth a second round pick and uh, Wes Wendo to just absolutely destroy the relationship between, you know, J.J. Reddick and his agent, Aaron Mintz, who's a very huge uh, agent in CAA, represents a lot of players. I don't know. That's a calculated risk that I'm sure David Griffin took and if he feels that way. But again, there's only 30 NBA teams, so it's not like a player can, you know, blackball a team. There's only 30 teams. If an NBA team wants to sign you, it's, it's not like people aren't going to go to the Pelicans now. You know, that's how I think, uh, that's how I feel about the situation. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a tough line to kind of walk. 
So I was there. This to me is so simple. Like people keep talking about how this has to do with the business. People keep talking about how mm-hmm. this has to do with like the harsh realities of what a front office is, is supposed to do and what their responsibilities are. To me, one thousand percent is just about honesty. That's literally all it's about. And and we don't. You, we'll never know who's actually telling the truth because my guess is if David Griffin came out and made a comment because David Griffin did have a comment where uh, where he came out, but it was before the JJ Reddick podcast. It was in his like post trade okay. deadline press conference, and basically mm-hmm. he goes. Uh, you know, we, we feel like we did what was best for JJ and his family. That was the actual quote at the end. Oh, wow. And when I saw that, I was like, whoa, dude. Well, cause he <laughs> very clearly disagrees. So like that, that comment was like, to me, that comment was like a uh, rationalization, like, like, oh, I'm doing something really shitty, but I'm going to tell myself that I actually did something good so that I can feel good about myself. That was like my whole read on the situation. I thought it was it was really weird. But there's so but there's a couple of angles to this that are that are fascinating. First of all, yes, all they got is a second round pick. Second of all, as Bobby Marks explained uh, uh, and Windhorse was talking about in his pod yesterday, uh, uh, this actually puts the Pelicans into the luxury tax. And the only way they can avoid it is by like, I think it was some sort of crazy thing where they have to like wave a player and then sign a guy for a 10 day and then like wait until the end of the season and sign a guy for another 10 day or something along those lines. I can't remember the exact uh, thing, but they have to do like crazy gymnastics now to avoid the luxury tax, which is a problem they didn't have with JJ. So the point was, was like a whole lot of trouble for nothing basically or if anything mm-hmm. uh, something that, d- that doesn't make sense so you know bobby marks was basically saying like i really truly don't understand why they did this especially for like a middling a second round pick you know that wasn't really going to bring much value um but the, the the bottom line is is like like i said are our, our front office is obligated to do what's best for the team absolutely there's no doubt is this a tough business absolutely there's no doubt but to me, that's irrelevant. All this is is about honesty. And we can try to pretend like that doesn't matter, but it does. And hey, guess what? Both Zion Williamson and JJ Redick are represented by CAA. So that like I, that may mean nothing, but it certainly doesn't help. And so if you're if you're uh, uh, David Griffin, why the hell would you even risk this? If right. that's the case and like, you know, just one little phone call from, from JJ to Zion complaining and telling what happened, you know, it, it's probably not going to push Zion out the floor, but if Zion is trying to make that decision one day and he's got a list of, he's got like a list of reasons why he should leave on one hand and a list of reasons why he should stay on the other hand, this goes on the list of reasons why he should leave. You know, David Griffin hurt one of my friends, you know, and, and JJ Reddick and, Z- and Zion were pretty close. Uh, but it, like at the, at the end of the day, like, you know, people are the people are so quick to be like JJ doesn't deserve this type of leeway. You're yeah. right. You know, J, JJ is is a victim of what all these other players deal with all the time. You're right. I can't remember the exact player, but I remember there was a time a couple years ago where like a guy was in his new press conference with a new team, and, and I think it was a middling role player, and and they were like, uh, "What happened with the old front office?" And he was like, "It was weird. I was literally." Uh, uh, sitting on a shoot around and the, and the general manager came up to me and like put his arm around me and said, you're here to stay. I think it was Rob Polinka. And I think it was in two, I think it was in 2019, <laughs> the season before ID came and it was like, yeah, Rob Polinka put his arm around me and, and basically was like, you're not getting traded. And then I got traded. So it's like, like <laughs> this, this, but my thing is, is like, I'm okay with people like saying I would not want to do business with someone who's dishonest with me. Now there are very 
varying degrees of that. Like my father-in-law will never, ever own an Apple product again because of a bad experience he had with Apple back in like 2004. (laughs) I think that's ridiculous. But, you know, I do think people at least weigh these things when they're deciding who to do business with. I think that's absolutely like part of the equation. Yeah, it's all about being transparent, right? And and, uh, being honest. And I think that's what JJ Reddick's big problem here is. The funny thing is that both JJ and Griffin are very media savvy. They know how to spin a thing. Like they're they're not new to this media game, right? Griffin went out all last summer and really boasted, right? He's like, oh, I'm ahead of the game. He had that LeBron quote, LeBron not be LeBron might not be as much of an animal about winning anymore. You know, he did all these things to pump the Pelicans up, who eventually, you know, won like 30 games. But again, he's really good at the media, and this is another thing that he spun, right? I don't, I don't know. I'm not in those rooms, but I wouldn't doubt. Uh, Griffin is loved in the media. He has a lot of friends in there, and you know, no one's really going to call him out on this. And it was funny to see JJ Redick absolutely just burn the house down in what he was saying, and. Uh, he was saying that he wasn't the first player to kind of deal with this. But yeah, again, it's all about transparency. I mean, the Lakers have a few clutch guys, you know, on their on their roster. I mean, would it be worth trading? I mean, you could probably trade Montrezl Harrell for something. Would you do it? I mean, probably not, right? I mean, it's just like looking at those situations. This is a people business as much as a, especially in a league where stars are the main thing, right? Stars impact everything. You get two stars and you are absolutely vaulted into the top. I mean, this is a star relationship business and, uh, again, I don't I don't know if this impacts, you know, Zion and all that stuff, but you're right. Maybe, maybe he thinks about it, but I think it's tough to say right now. But again, like David Griffin, was it worth it for a second round pick, James Johnson and Wes Wundu? Probably not. I mean, it's probably good from like, again, the Celtics are dealing with this exact same thing. The Celtics traded Isaiah Thomas again for, again, everyone does that deal for Kyrie Irving, but Isaiah Thomas found out, you know, the day of, and he talks about this a lot, and that that broke a lot of goodwill around the league, and it's it's been well documented. People don't want to do business with Danny Ainge because he tries to, first of all, attack you in the trade. He tries to win the trade by some, you know, huge amount, and then he also is pretty dishonest about how he trades, and that's just how it's been, so... Again, the Celtics are dealing with this. A lot of teams now, like uh, I remember when LeBron left Cleveland or whatever, and they kind of attacked him. Now every team, when a player leaves, they give him like a tribute video coming back because they saw how that impacts everything. So, and again, like Aaron Gordon asked for a trade from the Magic. You know, Aaron Gordon uh, got a trade request from the Magic to a team, to a winning team. I mean, it's just, that's how the league is right now. It's relationship built. And uh, if if you don't build good relationships, it's going to be a struggle. And I think I don't think this will be the end. Zion's going to be there for a long time because that's how these contracts work. But again, was it worth it for James Johnson? Who knows? But that's probably not. As that's what the league is showing. And you you said earlier you mentioned uh, like the truth of the matter is is it's not like the Pelicans aren't going to be able to sign guys. I mean, even the Celtics who have burnt every bridge in the league. <laughs> Still got Tristan Thompson last summer because it was the best offer that was available, and that right. was with the, that was with the one agency that you'd probably expect never to send a guy to the Celtics. So at the end of the day, like if the option is just so much better, this they'll still get guys. I don't I don't doubt the fact that uh, you know like teams are just gonna ins- like refuse to do business. But my thing is like if all other circumstances are the same, you're I think you will see guys weigh that. Um, and then, you know, there's the, the David Griffith thing is an interesting uh, uh, topic because, like, you know, he is a very arrogant guy and his story is interesting. And so I've, I've, I've read a book um, that, that where David Griffin was involved and I learned a little bit about him. It was the book about the 2016 Cavs. And mm-hmm. so David Griffin is a cancer survivor. So there's that. Oh, wow. 
Um, so then David Griffin, uh, uh, comes into the, the, to the, the front office role, the way he sees it, he was super, super like, uh, uh, integral to their success. Now, I think most of us would probably argue that he's a little bit full of himself there. Um, <laughs> but like the way he sees it, like the firing of Ty, uh, of, uh, David Blatt, the, uh, the trades for J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert, the way that he sees it he played an integral role in that team's success. And mm-hmm. here's an example. After game five against, the, or after game four against the Warriors, when they went down three to one, you know, David Griffin sends out an email. And the email goes to everyone in the Cavs organization, including the players. And it basically was like a pep talk. Now, I guarantee you that if I got LeBron drunk and I asked him, hey, do you think David Griffin's email had any impact on you guys winning the title? I bet you LeBron says no. But but David Griffin has, if you listen to him tell that story, like he feels like he galvanized the team, you know, like mm-hmm. he in the email, he's like, you know, we're built for this. Like we've we've dealt with adversary. We're, we're at our best when our backs are against the wall, all this stuff. So and, and then you you get into the, the fact that he couldn't come to contract terms with with uh, uh, Dan Gilbert, who Dan Gilbert was probably like, you're the one of the least valuable people in this organization. Why do I need to pay you, you know, bas- president of basketball operations type of money, you know? Uh, and then he comes to New Orleans, starts talking reckless about LeBron. Like he does have, and, and then, and then this JJ Redick thing happens. And it's like, look, even if JJ is telling lies here, even if JJ is making this whole thing up, you coming out and saying, we feel like we did the best thing for JJ and his family <laughs> is utter bullshit. So like, so the, like the, the dude without a doubt is, is arrogant and definitely lacks some self-awareness. And so I think that that's a, a, an angle here. But then again, I, I guarantee you if I got to personally know most of the, the front office people in the NBA, I'm sure I'd meet a, a few jerks along the way. Uh, but like, it's just, I, I think, I think that that's a relevant part of this story. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of them. That's how you get to that point, right? You get, a, you have some arrogance in you, and you have to be confident and all that. Um, but most players don't have a podcast that they can go and uh, share this on, right? Like most people aren't JJ Reddick, who have you know a podcast they go and share and are comfortable and media savvy and know how to spin their their story the way they want to to make it feel like you know he was the he was the victim in all of this. So again, I think I think it, if David Griffin promised him that he was going to you know do right by him, then I think he should have kept that promise i think that's just how life works um but again like his contract has nothing to do with that like you said this is a humanitarian kind of human human issue right like it's it's a man-to-man kind of conversation that they think they had so and it's a tough line to walk and david griffin works for the owner of the new orleans pelicans like that's who he works for and that's who he thinks he's going to do things that way so he's trying to win and that's that's all that he's trying to do and i i feel like jj reddick feels the type of way he has the right to it's it's not right that he was promised something he didn't get it but again that's the business you signed the million 18 million dollar contract whatever it was that he signed for then uh you got to go with it so yeah it's, it's a tough situation but it's funny seeing two dudes who are really media savvy who knew how to spin their way like you said with david griffin saying uh this was the best for jj reddick and his family like that's hilarious that's obviously not what <laughs> that's obviously not what jj reddick thinks so uh, it's funny seeing two dudes kind of go at it that way in the media yeah, and like, and, and I saw someone tweet out uh, two days ago, just the perfect, you know, succinct ex- explanation of the situation. Like, uh, JJ Reddick doesn't deserve special treatment, but if he was lied to, he has every reason to be upset. It really, it really is that simple to me. Like, yep. I, I, I don't think it's it's any more complicated than that. 
Um, and it was super interesting, I thought, to see a long form, you know, explanation from somebody about why uh, uh, they felt like they were wronged. And that is the interesting part about the the podcast format. And JJ said in his thing, he's like, he's like, I'm not ignoring the Mavericks. He's like, I just don't have media availability until this other day. And then he said, uh, he's like, I didn't want to tweet something out, you know, that had no context and had no, uh, you know, right. any sort of in-depth perspective. He's like, so I wanted to wait till my podcast. And I thought, I thought that that was cool really quickly before I get you out of here. Uh, last night I pointed out yet again, uh, that I think that there is starting to build this incontrovertible set of evidence that the Brooklyn Nets are way better than everybody. And, you know, like even when the Lakers are at full strength, they basically had one dominant stretch like this, and it was to start last season when they went 24-3. and three. So if there's something to lean back on, you could say the Lakers have been as dominant as this Nets team. The difference is, though, is LeBron and AD were healthy for that stretch. This Nets team, I'm going to run the numbers later today because I've been meaning to, but my guess is they've been averaging playing 1.5, 1.7 of their three stars per game, meaning like of the available games for their stars yeah. in this in this 23-game stretch. KD's been out for basically all of them. Uh, Harden's missed a few, and Kyrie's missed a bunch. So like for them to be this dominant, missing core pieces, like – Oh, there's a lot of precedent outside of the defense stuff where their defense isn't there. That's that doesn't usually have a precedent of success in the NBA. However, there is a precedent for teams dominating the regular season and having some success. And so I'm, am I am I crazy for thinking that they should be the favorite at this point, even if the Lakers are healthy? No, I don't think you're crazy. Like, look, their margin for error is so large. I mean, we have Harden, Kyrie and then. Kevin Durant has played seven games together with that trio, and they're absolutely killing the league. I think they're going to run through the East in a way that we haven't seen before. Um, but again, I, I think LeBron and AD pose like a like a certain type of matchup issue for them when you just break it down. Uh, I thought you, I thought it was, I think it was you that said something similar to this. You were talking about how Drew Holiday is a like a really interesting matchup problem for the Nets as well, right? He's kind of like a tough big guard that they have to defend, and uh, yeah, like. I, they're a team where you're going to have to be able to switch. You're going to have to be able to just live with these contested jumpers. Um, but anyway, we saw what happens to Harden in the playoffs. It's, it's a different kind of guy. His, his step back three is not as, uh, it's not able to go to as well. Kyrie kind of goes up and down as well. The guy, KD is the guy that I feel like you have to live with getting 30. I mean, there's nothing really you can do about that. But again, like just looking at the matchup dependent, um, things, I feel like if you go down the roster, other than the three stars and the two stars, everything else is kind of, uh, kind of, uh, even playing field from there so uh, i'm kind of taking the team with the better defense but no you're not crazy for saying the nets are the nets are probably the favorite they're the favorite in vegas i believe they've also played more games together continuity wise even than the lakers did even though they've had all those players out and uh, katie's just an easy guy to fit in there but man they are scary nick claxton somehow is like the best big on their team i mean um, if lamarcus aldridge and blake griffin gets minutes i'm i'm glad deandre jordan get all those minutes because nick claxton is a serious dude joe harris is shooting shoot around threes every game i mean it's just ridiculous he's wide open able to look at the palm look able to test the wind and take threes um so they're going to be a really tough out uh i again that hardened trade is malpractice to me but that's that's another issue for another day but uh yeah, they're they're a scary team, and uh, I don't think you're crazy with saying the favorites. I still I give the benefit of the doubt to the champs, to the defending champs, but yeah, that 
they're they're most likely the favorite. They're going to get to the finals pretty easily, in my opinion. Just look at the West versus the East, man. They're going to play like some under 500, way under 500 team in the first round. I mean, it's just a ridiculous conference difference right now. Yeah, so I got I got some crap the other day for for tweeting out that I thought that they were similar to the 2017 Warriors, and I overreacted and I took that back, and and uh, it was just it was just based on how dominant they've been. Um, the key difference between them and the 2017 Warriors is the fact that like the 2017 Warriors were literally better at everything than everybody. Like they were an elite defensive team that was. Every- Every bit as good defensively, if not better than every defensive team in the league. They were the best offense in the league. They had one of the top two players and two of the top three players in the league playing at the absolute peak of their game. So you had no angle. There was no advantage you could gain against them. And that's why they basically went undefeated in the playoffs until they tricked off game four in the, in the finals. The, the difference is, is the, 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 the Nets are going to face a lot of teams that have a clear advantage over them, whether it's a physicality advantage or it's a defensive advantage. And so that's going to be the interesting wrinkle. If they play the Milwaukee Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks have the ability to put some physical pressure on them that'll cause them some problems. I don't think Milwaukee has the scoring chops to beat them, though. The interesting team is, is Philly to me because Joel Embiid presents such a, a scoring uh, a mismatch for the Nets. Uh, but again, that's a team that has a, a legitimate size and physicality advantage, and they have the ability to uh, to defend at such a high level and, and gain an advantage against Brooklyn that way. And then the Lakers do as well. The Lakers are the best of those three teams because the Lakers have the star power to match the top two guys in Brooklyn, and they have the physicality to beat you up, and they have the defense to, to gain an advantage there. So I absolutely think the Lakers can beat them. I didn't think anybody could beat the 2017 Warriors. The uh, so that's the clear difference. However, I do think like the it's it's okay to admit the fact that Brooklyn has just appeared to be better than everybody to this point, and it's all really going to come down to whether or not teams can attack attack their switching defensive scheme in a playoff series. Because in the, in the regular season, it's been catching people off guard, and teams don't know how to attack it. Uh, and there are certain teams that have no chance. Like someone said the other day, I, this morning I saw someone said they thought the Clippers could push the Nets to six. I totally disagree. I think the Clippers will get swept by the Nets because they <laughs> their offensive style plays directly into yeah. Brooklyn's defensive scheme. So they, they would be the worst possible matchup for that type of team. You need a team that attacks their switches at the rim. Uh, and the best team to do that is going to be a Philly with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid or a, a Lakers with LeBron and, and Anthony Davis. And, and and Milwaukee outside chance if Giannis just goes absolutely berserk and, and Drew Holiday does a nice job defensively on James Harden or Kyrie Irving. And, and if Chris Middleton just plays to his a- absolute peak. So th- those are the teams that I think have a chance. Um, but again, that's the clear cut difference between this Brooklyn Nets team and the 2017 Warriors is as dominant as they have been. They're doing it by being super, super, super good at specific things and not having a ton of versatility. Uh, and so that there will, they will be in playoff series where the other team will be clearly better than them at a couple of things. And so that's going to be what allows them to potentially get beat in the second round. Uh, you know, if they end up against like a Milwaukee in the second round or just run through the league and beat everybody. And then we, I just, that's my thing is I wonder if we'll, I wonder if you and I will be doing a pod this off season where it'll be like, why didn't we just realize the Nets were better than everybody? You know, that that's, <laughs> that's where that's, that's the range of outcomes that I see with them. Yeah. I remember there was like a Clippers Nets game, which was really good. It was an exciting game, right? I think 
<clears throat> I think it was in Brooklyn and they had like a bunch of big shots. But once I saw that they were playing a one-on-one, I just knew the Nets. You're not beating the Nets at their own game, right? If you want to go into an ISO, hezzy Park, one-on-one style basketball, you're not beating them. You're not beating Kyrie, KD, and Harden in a switch-heavy offense type of uh, basketball. So, like, I feel like you got to beat them with, you know, schemes. And we'll see if the Bucks and Budenholzer can kind of come up with something. Giannis needs some kind of mid mid-range game to uh get it going the shooters have to have it going and I, I don't know i just think you can't beat the nets with a below average like defense or a below average you know shot creation offense and they're they're gonna be scary i think they're gonna run through the east like we haven't seen before um and, and the 2017 warriors like they won what 73 games before and then they just fit kd into their system right so they basically put him where harrison barnes was and then uh, fit him to there this is a brand new kind of system team that we haven't seen before kind of this is like one-on-one very pick and roll heavy a lot of rolling to the basketball Kyrie gets like a whole quarter a game where he gets to just play a one-on-one and it's just a really tough cover and Harden's become their point guard KD's gonna come right in and fill in for I don't know who's starting for him Bruce Brown I mean it's just gonna be just ridiculous level of talent so yeah, I think they're the favorite right now. But again, the playoffs are a different matchup. We'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, Philly and Milwaukee are going to be, I don't know, I, like people say Joel Embiid. I mean, even if Joel Embiid averages 40, I mean, are you comfortable with the with Philly being the Nets? Probably not. So we'll we'll, we'll see how that works. I, I just don't think anyone's beating them until the finals. I think it's going to be, the Lakers can get there. I think they can beat them. Uh, they have a chance, right? Like you said, they have a chance. Other than that, they most likely are going to walk away with a ring here in this season. So the the last thing I want to say about this is just the you know you just brought it up having to do with attacking the switches like and I'll give you an example I think there's a difference between attacking a switch for what's a high quality look and attacking a switch for what is a uh, extremely extremely like 100% high quality look so for instance like Kawhi Leonard's going to be able to get switches and get Kyrie on him and you know bounce him a couple times and get to one of his turnarounds that he's going to make. 52% of the time, you know, and that's a really good right. shot, but that it's a stagnant form of offense. And, and as we've seen so many times, like over the course of a series, if you force him to do that a lot, his efficiency will dip maybe from 52 to 48. And then you just are scoring at a higher clip on the other end. The difference is like when you attack a switch with size and physicality at the rim, it is a 100% shot. So for instance, late in the game yesterday against the Clippers, there was a, a chaotic stretch where, uh, who was the small guard for the Clippers that got switched on to Jokic? I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, Reggie Blaine, Jackson was it? Reggie Jackson. It, it was either Reggie Jackson or Terrence Mann. One of the one of their smaller players got switched on to Jokic in a yeah. pick and roll, and and uh, so they were isolating uh, Jamal Murray on the outside, and Jamal Murray just was force fed Jokic and Jokic is getting fouled. Like the dude's like hanging on his left arm. He's being held to the ground, but they just throw the ball up to the, over the top and Jokic just kind of catches it with one hand and just kind of guides it into the basket. It was a 100% shot. Like when you have that size and physicality and they switch the smaller guy onto you, it is a 100% shot or they're doubling and you're getting wide open shots on the other end. So that's the key difference there. And that to me is what makes a LeBron and AD or, you know, uh, you know, if you put like LeBron, if you put Drew Holiday, the best little guy defender in the league on him, it's bucket every time down the floor. Like he just, it's a 100% shot. Like he's just getting yeah. to the rim. And there are famous clips of him last year, just ripping Drew Holiday, a new one uh, in isolation. And it, Anthony Davis, like you put, 
you know, PJ Tucker on him and you attack him and you attack PJ Tucker, he's just getting such high quality shots that it's not a 52% Kawhi turnaround, which is a really nice look. It's this incredibly like hard dribble, right? Spin back over. He's shooting that little, you know, five foot kind of leaner with his right hand that he's going to make 70, 80% of the time. And that's the key difference in the way that those team attack teams attack those switches. And that's how you have to beat Brooklyn where they, them giving up a switch literally gives up a basket that, that that's the, that's where, where you beat them. And that's why I think the bigger, more physical teams have a better chance. And the Clippers for the record, what do they do well? They don't close games well. They don't defend well. The only thing they do well is score, but they can't score at the end of games because they get too stagnant. They're they're like as sure a bet to lose in in the first two rounds of the playoffs as any really really talented team that I can remember in the last few years. <laughs> Man, they already hate you, <laughs> um, but uh, they have a real <laughs> they have a real like athletic disadvantage, right? Their whole starting lineup really doesn't push other than Zubac and like Terrence Mann. Like that's why Terrence Mann pops off the screen for them because he's such a athletic dude. He gives them some pop, but other than that, their whole team kind of is really lethargic. Like Paul George doesn't really put pressure on the rim, and he's not really he's not beating you with any kind of athleticism. Kawhi as well gets a few dunks here and there, but he's really going to his mid range pull ups and fade away jumpers which again you talked about 52 percent probably most likely those kind of shots so they put no pressure on the basket and that's kind of when i watch a team like brooklyn like you have to beat them with force right you that's the same thing with houston it's why houston was so successful in my opinion in in the regular season last year um no teams really came at them with a lot of force and they again that switch heavy kind of defense really um perpetuates that so like when you when you look at it uh, the lakers really beat houston because they had no one to guard anthony davis right they were switching daniel house um guys like that onto anthony davis and he really put them in the basket hit his mid-range jumpers as well and i think that's what you have to do with brooklyn you have to um back them down get ad kind of the switches he wants get doubles from there uh, put pressure on the rim offensive rebound and beat them up that way to where their offense can't get out in transition katie's not flying around off screens like you have to make it a slow grind game for them um because if you get into a scoring match with them you're gonna lose you're not outscoring brooklyn you're not gonna you're not getting into you're not gonna win 130 120 game in the playoffs to me like that they're gonna they're gonna win that type of game you need to get them slowed down play your pace kind of and uh that's what that's what i love about denver this aaron gordon uh addition for them just gives them this athletic advantage that they just didn't have you saw it last night against the clippers they beat up on them they got offensive rebounds whenever they wanted Jokic got in the post Jokic had zero free throws last night, by the way. Did you know that? He did not shoot a single free throw. And they still won by, like, what, double digits. So I I, I like their team, and that's how you have to beat Brooklyn to me. That was a weird game because Jokic wasn't super aggressive. Um, You know, he made key plays. Jamal Murray wasn't super aggressive until late in the game. Uh, To me, the interesting thing with Aaron Gordon is, like, like, you know, Jeremy Grant, like – they, we joke about how you know the Nuggets needed him as like this wing defender. LeBron destroyed Jeremy Grant. Like he yeah. didn't do that good of a job on him. Like he did a lot of flopping when every single time he pick up a blocking foul. And LeBron, Le, LeBron really ate his lunch, especially like in that fourth quarter of Game Five. Like Aaron Gordon is, he's been stuck in basketball, you know, purgatory down there in Orlando. He's one of the better perimeter defensive players in the league because he's super strong and super athletic. And there's a strength that he has that that Jeremy Grant didn't have. And there's an athleticism that, that he has that Torrey Craig didn't have. And so he's a massive, massive improvement over what they've right. had at that position. And 
And then, you know, he's such a natural off-ball fit uh, offensively next to to uh, Jokic. I, I'm, I'm super I, – I definitely view them now as the second best team in the East or West behind the Lakers. But we've gone for yeah. 86 minutes. So I got to get you out of here because we both have to get do some work. Uh, but the, the stream stayed steady, so that's awesome. I really appreciate all of you guys for hanging out and listening. Rod, you have a good rest of your weekend, man, and I'll see you next week. You too, man. Have a good one.